All right, everybody catch their breath for just a second. <sighs> Wonderful to have a spirited Sunday morning of singing. I don't know why, but the Pentecostal power song always reminds me of my grandmother's church growing up. And I can't honestly say that they ever sang the song, but just something about it reminds it. I, when I was a, a young man, I used to go uh, visit my grandmother and grandfather. This was my grandpa, grandma and grandpa Luton. Um, and I would go to their church, which was Hickory Hill Baptist Church in Eugene, Missouri. And Hickory, the Hickory Hill was the area. And uh, that was really my first experience in Southern Baptist life. And it was interesting going from a, an evangelical free church that was very contemporary and everything it did. And then going to this, this old country church that had, it still had a bell. And you want to tell you, you want to be the coolest kid in the world, be an eight-year-old and have your grandpa say, go up and ring the bell. Like that was the coolest thing ever. And about five minutes before church would start, either me or my brother would get to go up and ring this bell and pull on that thing and make it ring. And, and it was just a neat thing, but they would sing hymns and, and, and it was just that it was a neat place, stained glass along the sides that had different pictures of, of events in the life of Jesus. And, and my grandmother was in the choir. She was an alto um, and is a very, was a, was and still is a, a beautiful alto voice. Um, she has said before she wishes that she lived here because she gets, in fact, she's probably watching right now um, because she would love to go to church here and man, she would be a good alto in the choir. Um, and so when I hear those songs and it takes me back to that point and uh, it's, it's funny how music can stir up a memory. Uh, but all that aside, um, sorry to, to reminisce with you for just a second. Um, let me take just a moment and let's go to the Lord in prayer. We have several people um, in our congregation that, that we do want to be praying for. We want to continue to remember Philip Gleason and the Gleason family, um, lift them, lifting them up in, in prayer. Um, we want to remember the Warfel family um, as well as they had a memorial service for Alan Warfel yesterday. Um, we have several that are uh, not able to be with us today. We want to continue to lift up Kay. Kay is home. Um, but we want to continue to pray for her as she is strengthened, as well as pray for Dick and Billy Justice. Um, Billy, we, we misspoke. I misspoke. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the blame. Um, Billy's doctor's appointment for her kidneys is actually this coming Thursday. So we don't have any update, but we definitely want to lift them up in prayer. And I think now, especially as we're praying for our community and we're looking to our community, um, I know Hardin County Public Schools is getting ready to start back full-time, five days a week. Um, and that affects a lot of people in this room. And we want to pray for uh, both Hardin County Schools and E-Town Independent Schools, not only the students, but also the teachers. So let's go to the order and the parents, sorry. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we come before you now, God, and we just praise you for the chance to, to be in your house and to sing songs to you. Lord, I pray that, that we will open up um, our, our hymn books or, or look at the screens, Lord, and that, that as we sing these songs, Lord, not only will we, where they stir up our hearts through the tune and the melodies and the things that, that we are singing, Lord, but may the words of these songs, of these songs stir up our, our hearts as well. God, we are reminded in even this last song that, that the, the goal of the Pentecostal power and the, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us is so that we will proclaim the good news of the gospel to the nation starting here. God, we saw in the song that, that we have this so that sinners may be converted, that people will pass from death to life through the good news of the gospel. God, that is our aim and that is our focus for, for weeks to come. And Lord, I pray that is the aim and focus of this church for the rest of our church's existence. 
until you return and the kingdom is restored. God, as we come before you now, we recognize that you are the sovereign God over all things. And so when we can come to you with our prayers and petitions, so God, we come before you now. Lord, we lift up those that have lost loved ones. Father God, this church has seen more than its fair share of funerals in the last year. And God, we continue to lift up every family and even this church as we look out in our congregation and people that we know and people that we love are not here with us. God, we pray for grace and peace for the families and grace and peace for this church. God, we lift up the Warful family. Lord, we pray for an extra measure of grace on them. God, we lift up Liz, Alan's wife, and pray that you would wrap your loving arms around her and give her peace. God, we pray for the Gleasons. Lord, we pray that you would give them the strength that only you can give. God, that you would calm their hearts and minds. God, that they would recognize that in Christ they are cared for and that they can have peace because he is the Prince of Peace. Father God, we lift up those that cannot be with us because they are, are, are still healing or recovering or still um, waiting for the vaccine. Lord, we pray that, that you would take care of them. Lord, that we as the church would be able to minister to them and encourage them. And Lord, that they would be with us again soon. God, we lift up the Justice family. Lord, we pray for a miracle on Thursday. We pray for good news of good things. We pray that, that there will be a cause for rejoicing. And if not a cause for rejoicing, a reason for hope in you. Lord, we recognize that, that, that you can do all things. And so, God, we lift all these things up to you. But God, first and more foremost, we pray that you would allow us to trust your will. God, that you would put deep within our hearts that you are good, that you love us, and that even when your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, God, that we will trust that you will take care of us. God, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen. On any given Sunday, and if we're thinking even before COVID-19 hit us one year ago, almost to the very weekend, more than 3.6 million Kentuckians would have not been found in any kind of church anywhere in the Commonwealth. In fact, as the numbers go, approximately 81% of Kentucky is considered unchurched. They don't go to church. They have no affiliation with any kind of church. They may very well have never gone to a church their entire life and have, as I like to say, they drive by our buildings and they have no idea what is going on inside. You have heard me say many times that only about 19% of even Hardin County is in church on any given Sunday. That is not coming from the previous statistic. Indeed, we in Hardin County are not in any way, shape, or form more religious than the rest of our state. Literally, four out of every five houses you pass on your way here, cars that you drive by, 
and people that you see as you go about your day do not have a relationship with Christ. They have no daily walk with him and they have no support from any church community. Now think about that in light of the pandemic. Think about everything that has gone on and the isolation and the loneliness. And, and maybe for some of us here, that simple text message or, or Facebook message or to just be able to go on to, to Facebook or YouTube and watch a video and connect with our church in some way, shape or form. Think of how many of you, did that lift you up? Did that Zoom meeting with the, the college kids or the youth group, was there a time where you were desperately craving some sort of connection over the last year but couldn't have it because of the pandemic and church was something that helped you get through? Four out of every five people you meet do not have that in their lives. We have here, not in Brazil, not, not in Indiana, not even in, in Louisville or Lexington. We have here a spiritual emergency. And we have been called to get the gospel to every home in our community. It may be very easy for us to look at this as an overwhelming and daunting task. And, and it has to, to come with the question, how do we do that? Where do we even start? Well, I think it might be wise for us to start with the Bible, don't you? And I think the answers that we are looking for are found in our text today, which was also the text that we focused our time in Sunday school today as well. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be reading starting in verse 35 and through to the end of the chapter. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. The gospel according to Matthew says these words, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Please be seated. The first thing we see in this passage and the first thing that the, the first place that I think we need to start as the church, as Tunnel Hill Baptist Church is this. We need to follow the missional model of Jesus. Look at the very first line of the very first verse when it says this, Jesus was going through all the cities and all the villages. Now, he was not on a book tour. He was not telling people how to live a healthy lifestyle. He was not promoting um, becoming a vegan or anything else, but rather he went through all the villages and all the towns proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What we see here is Jesus living out his mission. 
He is doing all that he could. He could do all that he could, all that could be be done to provide as many people as possible living throughout his region the opportunity to hear and to respond to the gospel. What is very important to notice about this, and if you were in Sunday school this morning, you should have talked about this. Jesus went to them. He did not wait for them to come to him. If we look back at throughout the Gospels, even John the Baptist, he hung out at the Jordan and he let all the people come to him. More often than not, the people of God, even as we look into the Old Testament, we see a lot of people that were, were coming, were, would set up shop, they would be in Bethel, they would be in Jerusalem, they'd be wherever they were, and everybody was expected to come to them. But Jesus did not do that because when the church age came, things were going to be different. Instead, Jesus went to them. It would be very easy for a church, even one like ours, to assume that people will come to us. As we heard in the, in the classic uh, movie that was also a book, The Field of Dreams, where he hears in the cornfield, if you build it, he will come. And the idea was, if you build a baseball field, then, well, you have to watch the movie. And churches take that as their ministry model. If we build it, they will come. If we build a nice building, people will come. If we have an inviting front yard, people may want to come check us out. If we have a, a playground set that says we're friendly to kids or a sign that is bright and flashy. If we have the best youth program or children's program or senior program. If we build programs and have facilities, then people will come to us. But I challenge you, think for just a moment. If you are healthy, you probably don't just go and check out a hospital, do you? No matter how nice the hospital may be, no matter how new the facility might appear, no matter how nice the front yard is out front, or how wonderful and friendly the people look in the pictures that the hotel posts online, you won't go. You don't go to the hospital. You don't go to the hospital because you think you're not sick. In fact, you won't go to a hospital until you are convinced that you are sick. Or at least maybe I'm talking about myself. There are people all around us living in, in homes on this street, in this neighborhood, over yonder and down the way over there. And it doesn't matter how nice our yard looks, though we praise God for Kevin. And it doesn't matter how flashy our sign may be. And it doesn't matter how many uh, uh, programs or, or things that we do in this church. They don't think they're sick. They don't know that they are dead in their sins. And because of that, they will never just walk through our doors apart from the work of God. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we okay with someone living 500 feet, less than a mile, right around the corner from this church building, 
dead in their sins. And someone from this church never sharing with them how they could be saved. Are we okay with that? Are you okay with the idea that as you leave this parking lot today, and by the time you get to the stop sign at the intersection over there, or the stop sign at the intersection over there, someone on this street is lost, dead in their sins, and they go to judgment. And we never said a thing to them. We have to remember the words of Jesus in Luke 19.10. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And brothers and sisters, we are called to do the same thing. The second thing we see from this text is that we must commit to a missional, the missional mandate of Jesus. Look again at verse 38. It says there, Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. You may not realize it, but in the very next chapter, if we go just, just keep on reading, if we pretended like all the verses and all the chapters weren't there, he says, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the harvest. Jesus summoned the 12 and gave them authority, and then he sent them out. He prayed. They said, pray that God will raise up workers. And then he said, oh, by the way, you're the workers. Go. Jesus told them that they would be doing this from the very moment that he met them. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, 17, a text that we have studied many, many moons ago, he said this to his first disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And at this moment in Mark chapter 10, we see them getting in the boat. Jesus' plan for transforming fishers into fishers of men was inviting them to join him in what he was already doing. They were with him. They were walking with him. They saw him as he went from town to town, preaching the good news, healing everyone of disease and, and, and sickness and illness. And just as he has commissioned them, so has he also commissioned us. Acts 1.8 says these words, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jeru Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This means that every believer. Or as we like to say in the South, all y'all. Should be able to share your faith and be willing to do so at any time. Imagine for just a moment. You are at the Dollar Tree. We talked about that in my Sunday school class this morning. You are at the Dollar Tree. And you are looking at those sticky hands that you shoot out and hit, and hit somebody with. Because that's what my family looks at at the Dollar Tree. And someone just randomly walked up to you and said, what is the gospel? Would you be able to answer that question? In fact, let me take it one step further. If someone walked up to you and said, what is the gospel? You have no excuses now, Dennis. 
They ask, what is the gospel? Would you not only be able to tell them what the gospel is, but would you call them to believe the gospel in that moment? That's what we're being asked to do. That's what Jesus has commissioned and called us to do. And I would challenge you today. We are being called to commit to a missional mandate of Jesus. Will you commit to participate in any upcoming evangelism training that you need in order to share your faith? If you're sitting here and I have presented this scenario with you and I've taken out all the excuses and someone just walked up to you and said, what is the gospel? What must I do to be saved? And you can't say, I'd know what to do. Then we need to train you. We need to show you. We need to explain it to you. You need to be able to see that. Will you commit to that? To getting the tools and the resources you need so that you will be able to share the gospel when the opportunity arises. And brothers and sisters, it does not matter if you have been a believer for hours or if you have been a believer for decades. You need to be able to share your faith. And along with that, would you be willing to come alongside someone to watch, learn, and go together? We're going to talk about evangelism for 40 days. But that's not so that we can just talk about evangelism. We're going to talk about evangelism for 40 days so that we can do evangelism. And will you go alongside someone else and either show them how to share their faith or be shown how to share your faith so that you can share your faith? Number three, we not as a church as a whole, but also as individuals need to develop a missional mindset. Look again at verse 36. It says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the lostness of the people and he was moved with compassion deep within his soul. It is so easy, especially here in the, in the Bible belt, so to speak, that for, it is so easy for church people to be church people and hang out with church people and to talk with church people and to use church language and to go to churchy places and, and, and create a life where we don't see the lostness around us. Our calendar, our struggles, our workplaces, everywhere we go, we seem to be surrounded by Christians, or at least that's the people we talk to. And the lostness and those that are dead in their sins around us, we just don't see. We don't see the lost person struggling to carry on each day as they're checking out their groceries ahead of us in Walmart. We don't see the lost person stuck in the DMV line with us. We don't see the lostness of the person who cuts our hair or waits on us at the restaurant. We have to ask the questions, will we see our neighbors, the people in our community as God sees them? And with that, will we be moved by the compassion of Christ to show compassion to them as well. 
in just a few moments, we're going to all leave this place. We're going to get in our cars and we're going to start driving. And whether you drive home or to a restaurant or, or to the grocery store, wherever you have to go, I challenge you to slow down and consider that as many as eight out of every homes, cars, people that you pass are these unchurched people. Lost people, dead in their sins. And will you see what Jesus sees? Will you see a people who are distressed, dejected, and like sheep without a shepherd? They don't know that Christ is the answer. And the scary thing is they never will unless we go to them. Ephesians 2 says these words, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. God delivered each and every person in here, if you are in Christ, out of your sin, out of that judgment, out of death and out of lostness. And if God has delivered us, then he has commissioned us to help bring other people to him so that they might be delivered as well. The question that started our time today is where do we start? We start with a mindset. We start with a commitment. We start with a vision. But what happens next? The first thing that we are going to do over the next 40 days is we are going to pray evangelistically. When we consider the power of the gospel to change a life, a home, or a community, it is hard to understand why the workers are so few. And yet we see in verses 37 and 38 that God calls us to raise up workers. He says there are few. And so we are called to pray. Pray for your one something we're going to start talking about more in the weeks to come. Pray for that one person that God has burdened your heart with to know Christ. Pray that God will help us, all of us, see our neighborhood as he sees it. And pray that God will send out more workers into the field. Workers like us. I would challenge you to commit to pray every day. And if you need help reminding it, I would challenge you to set your alarm for either 9.38 in the morning or 9.38 in the evening or both. So at 9.38, your alarm on your phone goes off. You remember what Matthew 9.38 says, and you pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up workers. Number two, let us go. Let us go proactively and on purpose. This means taking advantage of this time, the time that we're in, the 40 days, to be trained to grow comfortable in sharing your faith. Not just learn a method. Not just learn how to read a card. 
but to even train yourself so that you are comfortable, ready, confident to share your faith. It means practicing. Practicing with someone else, practicing with your spouse, practicing with me, practicing with someone else, doing it back and forth on Messenger or FaceTime or in one of the many times that we gather together, Sunday school, uh, morning worships, Wednesday evenings, Sunday evenings. Get to a point where you are ready and even courageous as we go out and as you go out and live your lives and as we go out and even knock on doors in order to share the gospel with people. It means we put on a servant's heart. We all buy in and we say, I believe this is important. How do I make it happen? And we come together to pack gift bags and to serve our community, to meet both the physical and the spiritual needs of the people around us so that the gospel might be heard. Lastly, we look for how we can meet needs in the community. It's important to note in the last part of verse 35 that, that Jesus was preaching and teaching, but he was also healing every disease and sickness among the people. The principle is that, that he was compassionately meeting their real needs of real people, both physical and spiritual. As we look out into our community, there are people with real needs. They need help physically, emotionally, spiritually. They need community. They need a hand up. Or a hand to help out. We need to open our eyes to see what Jesus sees and pray for how we can meet them in the name of Jesus. Whether they ever come to our church or not, how can we serve our community in such a way that they are glad that we are here? Now, I don't know what has brought you here today. Or what is making you watch online as we are live streaming this on Facebook. But it's important that you know that Jesus is pursuing the people, his people. And that he is pursuing you. And that his love for you has been made evident by the fact that he has come, that he has lived a perfect life died a sacrificial death on the cross and that he's risen again three days later. And through that, he wants to heal the brokenness in your life and in your life if we will just surrender our lives to him. Now, we use a method here in the church. It's a visual one. It's called the three circles. Hopefully we can get that up. If not, don't worry about it. And in this church, we like to explain the gospel this way. First thing we need to know is that God has a design. We believe that, that Genesis 1-1 is true, and it says, In the beginning, God created, thank you so much, God created the heavens and the earth. And we are, are, are told by that, by the fact that God created, that God had a plan and a design, and that includes everyone in this room. You were made on purpose with a purpose. And you've been called to walk according to that purpose. But here's the, here's the problem. Here's the check. We don't. It's as simple as that. God has a design for our lives, but we don't walk in that design. In fact, we always, and every single person that's ever breathed air has done this. We choose to find our own purpose and our own design, and that's called sin. Sin is doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want it done, and regardless of what God wants for us. 
And when we sin, we depart from God's design. And like all things, when you use them apart from the way they're designed, it leads us to brokenness. And the brokenness is something that we all feel and we all experience. The brokenness is something deep within us that tells us that we're just not quite right. That we messed up, that we could be better, and that we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And we feel that death even within ourselves now, and that's that brokenness. Now, we try to fix that brokenness. We try to be religious. We try to be charitable. We try to put, put off our righteousness and hope we just do a better job with our children. We numb our brokenness with alcohol and drugs and pornography. But we can't fix our brokenness because you can't fix brokenness from brokenness. And that's why Christ came. Because Christ came and that's what that good news is. The gospel means good news. And the good news is that Jesus came. And Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He was never broken. And he lived the perfect, unbroken life to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. He, re he fixed our brokenness by taking the penalty for our brokenness. And he died and he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave and he defeated death. And even now he sits at the right hand of the father. The Bible says that if we repent and believe in the gospel, that we will be delivered, rescued from our brokenness and begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. If you want to know how we begin to repent and believe in the gospel, Romans 9, 10, 9 says this. For with the mouth, we confess Jesus is Lord. And with the heart, we believe that God raised him from the dead. And if we'll do those things, we'll be saved. And so when we believe that the gospel is real, that Jesus is everything he said he was and that he did, in fact, rise from the grave, and when we repent from sin and make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we will be saved. And if you are watching online or you are with us today and you look at this picture and you say, okay, I know I'm not in God's design because I know I sin, I know I mess up. And so I'm probably in that brokenness because I, I don't have the gospel. I've heard of the gospel, but I've never believed in the gospel. So, so if I'm looking at these circles correctly, that says I'm in the brokenness circle. Our question for you today is what is keeping you from believing the gospel today? What is keeping you from confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and being saved from your sins? If the answer is nothing, then we would invite you to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today. And you can just say a simple prayer with me. In fact, we'll even do it right now. But then we want you to come up at the end of the service and let us know that you prayed that prayer because we want to show you what happens next when you begin following Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God and King, Lord, we come before you now, Lord, and, and we just want to begin by coming to you and saying, God, we know that we are sinners. God, when we look at this picture on the wall, God, we know that we have not followed your design and that we have sinned. And because we have sinned, we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. And God, no matter how hard we've tried, we know that we can't fix our brokenness on our own. 
But God, we believe that you sent your one and only son. That he did live the perfect life that we failed to live. That he died on the cross for our sins, for the penalty of our sins. And God, that he rose from the grave three days later. And even now is alive, seated at your right hand. God, we believe that. And God, because of that, we want to make him the Lord of our lives. We are confessing. We are are drawing the line in the sand. We are proclaiming that Jesus is our Lord and master. And so we will turn away from our sin and we will follow him. God, we believe the words of scripture are true and that you will deliver us, that we will be saved if we believe and confess. And so God, I pray that there are people even in this room today that, have spent, that are praying that prayer now. And God, that they would begin to walk with you as you begin to recover and pursue your design for their life. And God, that includes the people in this room with me today and those that are watching online. Lord, I pray that you will help us see a dead world and that you will use us to bring the life of Jesus Christ into it. God, we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.